When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, okay, the party time. Going right, y'all. Leave me alone. This is my intro. This is the best thing I do. Uh-huh. That would be Mr. Briscoe <laughs> right now beneath me or wherever he is on these Brady Bunch squares. And you've got one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, but his character that was created is something that will live forever, an iconic character in WWE history. I know how great it was because I stole his gimmick. Welcome <laughs> to the Million Dollar Man, Mr. Ted DiBiase. Ted, thanks for joining us. Hey, it's great to be with you guys. I'm telling you, man, it really is. It's hey, Teddy, awesome. Teddy, I got one thing since I got both of you billionaires on the line there. Can I get a can I can I get a loan, a low interest loan, maybe an interest <laughs> only loan? <laughs> uh, check checks in the mail. Uh, check with JBL, right? <laughs> I, don't know you, I don't know if you saw how Ted and I handled money and uh, on the television, but we probably weren't the best people to borrow money from. <laughs> not. Absolutely not. Talk about predatory rates. <laughs> hey, Teddy, man, it's great to uh, have you on here, man. Uh, John and I were talking about it, and uh, he just he, he gets so excited sometimes. You, what I think what 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 we enjoy most about the the show, we have our friends on here. We have guys and girls on here that you know mean a lot to us. That that's been down the road with us a little bit, and that that. Uh, that we have a lot in common with and your background and John's background, you know, West Texas state and Abilene Christian and all that stuff. And it just go together. We've had so many guys that we've had the great Stan Hansen on, you know, and uh, that, that was one of those West Texas outlaws out there. Now, now we got uh, the outlaw that, that made the most money, the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. <laughs> man, that's a pleasure, but, you know, all three of us have a, have a, a few connections, and it's basically the way you started out there for the, those uh, egg sucking dog funk family out there. So, you know, West <laughs> Texas West Texas football player and, a, and an egg sucking dog. Tell us a little bit about you know when you made that transition from West Texas over to to the well, pro side. Well, I, I have known the funk family since I was very young. My dad. Uh, Iron Mike DiBiase, uh, who uh, also was not only a pro wrestler, but a big eight champion, man, big eight champion. And you guys, you guys, uh, ladies and gentlemen, worldwide, you might not know what college football is over in Greece or Italy or or any of those foreign countries over there. I hope I'm being PC here, but these two Texans right here just killed American college football and they're proud of it. 
<laughs> and they all did it all for what? Money, 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 money. <laughs> so tell us your story. Hey, somebody <laughs> once said, everybody's got a price. <laughs> right. Oklahoma State does it. <laughs> <laughs> we do, but they can't go down low, man. <laughs> But anyway, my relationship with the Funks goes all the way back to my childhood when, uh, I mean, 19, uh, 1966, I believe, uh, I spent the summer in, in uh, Amarillo, Texas. My dad was wrestling there. We went back to Nebraska for a couple of years. And then in, in, uh, er, in the summer of 69, we, we left Nebraska. My dad's uh, plan was to, you know, uh, put me in a good tex Texas high school football program, the best high school football program in the entire country, put me in one of those schools and, uh, and see how I did. Cause I had done real well my freshman year in Nebraska. And, uh, anyway, that summer he died heart attack in the ring and, and, and he died. I, I finished high school out in Southern Arizona. I was looking at TV one day and the, and the, and the wrestling show out of Amarillo comes on locally in Tucson. And they were, they were trying to make a move and see if they could, uh, you know, work Arizona. Anyway, I went, I went to Tucson, um, you know, Dory senior, junior, Terry, were all there. Uh, Terry talked me into taking a recruiting trip. Uh, and he said, even if you already decided what you want to do, just take the trip, come back, see everybody. And that's really all it took. You know, I mean, it was, it was in my blood. It's the one thing I've always wanted to do. I wanted to be with my dad. And so, um, I went to West Texas state in the fall of 1972 and I was there, uh, three full years. And then the summer between my junior and senior year, a guy named Dick Murdoch <laughs> says, Hey, he says, I'm going to work for Bill Watson, what they call mid South territory. Now it's big territory. He's, you know, he's hooked up with Leroy McGurk and they've expanded the territory. And, uh, he says, you might get your feet wet and find out if you really want to do this stuff. And I said, that'd be great. Well, it was great until the end of summer. When the end of summer came, I, I had done well enough that I was like, why do I need to go back to college? This is what I want to do the rest of my life. Now, to this day, I still regret that. I had one yeah. year of college left. And, you know, by the grace of God, I never had to, had to you know, I never had to use what, you know, what I, I mean, I don't, I didn't really want to be a teacher, uh, you know, a teacher and a coach. I wanted to be a wrestler. So uh, that's when I started the summer of 75 working for Bill Watts and, uh, you know, and that was, you know, that was pretty good too, because Bill Watts is a pretty, you know, photographic memory. That guy's sharp as a tack, you know, mean as a bull, but sharp, sharp as a tack. And, uh, I learned a whole lot about the psychology of wrestling from, from Bill Cowboy Bill Watts. Yeah. I hate to admit that because he's another one of those Okies, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kid, I've told Jerry for a long time, we need a wall. Not, not like Trump says on the, on the border between us and Mexico, but between us and Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. He's out of the promised land of the great state of Texas. <laughs> there you go, man. <laughs> and that's about the only thing I agree with Layfield on it. Put that <laughs> damn wall up so we can keep those damn Texans out of Oklahoma. You know? <laughs> hey, Jed, your, your mother was a wrestler uh, also, right? Helen Hild, was that? That's the, right. Her, her wrestling name was Helen Hild. I think that's actually how she met my dad i mean because mike was not my biological father uh my my mom divorced my real dad when i was two and he was a professional singer and uh, uh 
I don't know how she got into wrestling. I really, I never asked that question, but anyway, uh, somewhere along the way, she met Mike and they got married in October of 1959. And I was five years old. And that's when I, you know, hit the road, so to speak, you know, almost like, you know, you know, wrestlers moved a whole lot back then. I mean, that's first, first grade. I was in Amarillo, Texas for a semester. And then I was in Portland, Oregon, <laughs> the, the second semester of school. Then in uh, second grade, I was in Houston, Texas. I was there for the whole year. Yeah. Back to Texas. And then, uh, you know, third grade, uh, Arizona, fourth, fifth grade, uh, Omaha, Nebraska, uh, sixth grade back to Texas. <laughs> wow. We kept going people, back to people, Texas. people just don't understand the schedule that, that, that generation had. Fortunately, I come yeah. along the next generation after that, where, you know, you, we kind of picked a territory and we kind of, kind of, if you got over there, you, you know, you worked to do with promoter and you kind of, kind of homesteaded the place as they used to call, you know, yeah. and you just work, work, work in areas. But Teddy, you was one of those guys that, that kind of, you know, you, uh, Bill Watts in Japan, you, yeah, that was so central, you know, and, and everything, but you also worked like Florida. You worked a little bit in the Carolinas. You worked Georgia. I know you were, you were sorry, Georgia when I when I was there, and I, you worked Missouri. The, the 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 place that everybody wanted to work was St. Louis. And going back to your dad, Mike, uh, uh, didn't he? Did he? He beat Bob Geigel in the finals of the Big Eight tournament, I believe. What isn't that correct? I, I think so. Um, so that's the reason uh, you know, he won the he star was, in Kansas City. He was the, he was the AA, AAU National Heavyweight Wrestling Champion right. in 1946. Right. And that was like right after World War II. Yeah. And then uh, at Nebraska, he lettered eight times, four years in football, wow. four in uh, wrestling. And three years in wow. a row, he was a conference heavyweight champion. Wow. That's so, just a, what a phenomenal athlete. And I, re I remember when, you know, when I was just getting started, you know, and I was kind of guys would go over, you know, some of the guys that made that transition from amateur. Your dad was always at the top of the list along with Danny Hodge. And I always thought, oh, man, man. I, that guy, that guy must have been. Hey, hey, Gerald, my first TV match was with Danny Hodge. Wow. I was scared to death. <laughs> I, I, don't don't, I, I had heard all these stories about the grip. You know, don't uh, don't all let him get a hold of you, man. Every, uh, you know, all the you know how the boys are. You yeah. know, they ripped it right up. And you know what? Uh, he was just as easy as it uh, could be. Uh, he was, but what a great guy. What a what great, great guy. guy. What a great loss in the business had when when we lost Danny Hyde because truly a legend there. But uh you know that, that that like like you were talking before the guys jumping around everywhere. And it, it, it was hard to build friendships with anybody, you know, because you were gone all the time. But when was it where and it had to be uh where was you finally when when you got, you know, okay, I'm I'm here and I'm going to get my football career started here and play for next level football. Well, I was, like I said, I was, I was watching TV. I was, I was, I was at a small, small school in, in Southern Arizona, a little town. I mean, three little town, three traffic lights, Wilcox, <laughs> Arizona. And Wilcox is 80 miles from Tucson. And I had signed a letter of intent to play for the university of Arizona. And then that's, like I said, uh, the, the wrestling show came on. I go and see the Funks. Next thing you know, I've decided I'm going to go to West Texas State. 
And then so in the summer of 75, which would be the summer right before what, what would have been my senior year of college, I just jumped in with uh, with both feet. And I was at the time working for Bill Watts. And oh, okay. I worked for Bill uh, all the way to, to, to the next summer. And then I made my first trip to Japan in, uh, in the summer of like, uh, I think it was 76. Mm-hmm. And I was over there. Uh, and of course, you know, the, I think, uh, I think the funks booked a lot of the stuff for Baba right. and, uh, I got my first taste of Japan. That was the longest five weeks of my life. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know that, that's, a, that's the thing back at, back in, back in those days, you didn't go for any three day tours to Japan. You didn't go for a week tour to Japan. I, my first tour over there was six weeks, brother. And oh, I didn't God. think I didn't think that six weeks would ever <laughs> end, you know. Just every night, you know, it's like uh, like you just, you know. I remember being over there and just thinking, "Are we ever going to get a day off?" <laughs> and, yeah, no uh, kidding. And uh, but uh, you know, what an experience, and uh, you know. I'm like you, man. You, you can't you can't buy those experiences like that. Yeah. So, is that when you first teamed up with uh, with Stan or? No, it, I didn't uh, team up with Stan until much later. You know, uh, you know, uh, he and he and Bruiser Brody. You know, uh, another another West Texas. Uh, yes, sir. Another football West player. Texas you know. State person. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hey, Ted, he, Ted, he, before you go real quick, how many other guys were there before you go with Brody? Uh, Brody was there. Hanson was there. Tolly was there. You had, uh, I think Dusty went there. Oh my gosh. Uh, Bobby, Manny, Manny, there. Manny. Bobby Duncan, Bobby Duncan, both the funks, um, Stan Hanson, and then me and Tully Blanchard and Tito Santana were all on the same team. Uh, and then Barry, Barry Wyndham. Uh, I know, I know I'm leaving some, but uh, Manny Fernandez is another guy. Um, they, they all played football at West Texas State. And Dick Murdoch, yeah, yeah, did you alumni Dick Murdoch told everybody he did, but he never played it down. <laughs> didn't play one down. He, never, didn't, he never went to college. <laughs> he was an honorary uh, West Texas football yeah, player. Yeah, <laughs> an honorary letterman there. Did, did, did you say you played with Tully? Yeah, I played with Tully. And, Is it uh, true that Tully threw a football into a tuba of the opposing team's band during our third hey, down? Hey, hey, yeah, you know what? <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you can't tell that story again. He would tell it. No, he, you know, you know, I, he came back and uh, we we had a match, and uh, I think in cutting the promo, I said something like, you know, like uh, uh, that he was so, you know. He, he was, he was just distraught because, you know, he had, he had set an all-time record, most interceptions in a season. <laughs> <laughs> That'll make it distraught. <laughs> I saw an interview you did, Ted, with, I think it was our friend Sam Roberts, where you're talking about uh, the funks were out of town and they asked you in, in college to take Andre out. Oh, yeah. There. Oh my God! Story. This is <laughs> well. Yeah, I mean, you know, of course, you know, Terry and, and Junior took over the territory after their their dad died, and uh, and I had just been working a, a very short time. But it's, I, and you know, after that first year, I went back to to Amarillo and worked the territory. And so they said, "Look, they Andre the Giants come in." And they said, uh, "We're going to all be out of town." I said, 
you know, uh, would you be willing to take him out? And uh, I, you know, I wasn't even in the business yet. I was still in college and said, yeah, I'd be happy to. So my gosh, man. So I took him to one of the, the, the places where all the, you know, the college kids went, you know, and so this, this barmaid comes up and says, what, what do you have? And Andre looks at her and goes, you have trash can. And she looked at him and she said, yeah, we got a lot of trash cans on a big trash can. <laughs> she, she said, yeah, we do. She says, empty trash can, put five cases of beer on ice and bring it to the table. She looked at me <laughs> like, a, is he serious? And I said, yeah, do it. <laughs> I mean, you know, and again, Andre's hands were so big. If he just wrapped his hand around a, a can of uh, a beer, you couldn't see it. Oh. He was huge, brother. Just huge, but what a great guy. Oh. Not a nicer story, guy. The story I also heard, I saw, I think with you with uh, Booker T, we're telling the story about Andre in the elevator in Japan. I don't know what you That's my favorite story. <laughs> now, you know, I tell people, I said, you know, you know, HBO did, I thought they did a pretty good job of, of making, you know, the public or fans understand just how difficult life was for Andre because of his size. I mean, you know, uh, you, John, you you and I can sit in a coach seat, but it ain't comfortable. Don't like it. Well, you put Andre in a first class seat on a 14 hour flight. That's like, you know, that's like us sitting in coach. He's not comfortable. And uh, so anyway, we, we go with it. We go to Tokyo and, you know, 14 hours and then it's another hour into the city. And, you, you know, and so everybody was going to freshen up. You know, we're going to meet in the lobby and go out and eat and you stay awake as late as you can the first night, because if you don't, you're going to be asleep at two o'clock in the afternoon. And so uh, I remember I hit the elevator button, the door opens and there's Andre. Hey boss, let's go eat. So we start down and this elevator stops at virtually every other floor. Now, three stops ago, you and I would have said this elevator's full, get the next one. Not in Japan. Mm -hmm. I mean, they pack them in in Japan. I mean, the whole country is the size of the state of California. And of that landmass, uh, three-quarters of it is uninhabitable mountains. But the population of Japan is that, about half that of the United States. So they stack them in, man. And so, anyway, Andre reaches over and just gives me a little tap on the shoulder. And I looked up at him, and he winked. I said, okay, uh -huh. something's, something's going to happen here. Well, buddy, that the next thing you heard was the loudest, longest fart that I have ever heard in my life. I remember thinking, I'm, 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 I'm staring straight ahead, both, both, you know, biting a hole in my lip, and I said, I know it's the giant, but how much? How could any human possibly have that much air in their body? And I could just picture the poor Japanese guy that's standing directly behind him, getting it right <laughs> in the face. But I'm gonna tell you what: when the <laughs> elevator door opened again. <laughs> It was like the exodus. They were tripping over each other to get out the door. And they were all, you know, well, they had to be cussing the big guy, you know, because they, you know, they obviously, you know, they, they weren't very happy. But as the doors closed, it was just me and Andre. And all you could hear was, oh, 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 <laughs> that big laugh of his. And he looked down at me and he says, I guess they won't crowd the big man anymore, will they? <laughs> <laughs> I love that guy. <laughs> Another guy that we all love, uh, Dick Murdoch. Jim Cornette once said about Dick Murdoch, Dick Murdoch is the wrestling what a trick shot artist is to pull. He gets there, but he gets there in a way you never figured out how to get there. It's just Dick was 
Dick was so talented, but oh. crazy. That had I, you know, John, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's like, I can remember this, now this was before I was wrestling the summer before. So the summer between my sophomore and junior year in college. Now, um, you know, at that time you, you still, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't be paid in a professional sport and, and, and maintain your amateur status. So I didn't wrestle. I refereed. And that was a pretty good education too, being the third man in the ring. And, uh, and, and so, you know, uh, what was the whole point? <laughs> about Nick Murdoch, about how he'd get, yeah. he'd get to the right conclusion, but it, he'd get to the roundabout. I, I mean, Dick Murdoch, I mean, he, I went up and down the roads with him, and he could have a great match so easily. And I'm in the ring with him, and he's, you know, he's cutting, he's cutting jokes. He, you know, it's like, it's almost like he's, and I don't know, it's just hard to explain. I mean, it's got kind of like the, you know, at the time, you know, uh, he was a heel and the, and the crowd wanted to kill him and he's making, the, he's making me and the other guys working with laugh in the ring. It's just unreal. He, I mean, he, he was just, it was just, it was so easy for him. You know, it was almost like second nature to him. He was really that good, but you're right. You know, it's, you, know you, you never could figure him out. You know, of course, one of his, one of his mentors was, you know, another guy that I had a great deal of respect for, Killer Carl Cox, who was another great wrestler. You know, uh, he and he and uh, Cox and Murdoch had a uh, uh, an unbelievable run in a feud uh, in Mid South. So anyway. uh, they 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 had a, a feud everywhere they went. I was fortunate enough to be a, a, a tag team with Cox a, a few times when he actually turned babyface down here in Florida. But I worked against him up in the Carolinas. And of course, when we come out to Texas to work the Funks, uh, of course, the Briscoes uh, being from Oklahoma were natural hills, and the Funks were the babyfaces. And so. We, we did a finish one night in Lubbock or, or El Paso, one of those towns, really hot heat towns. And John and I talk about all the time when you get that heat where it just goes solid and you just feel it on top of, you know, that, yeah. that heat that you work your butt off. Yeah. Of. And so we had one of those heat like finishes. And all of a sudden, that ring there in Lubbock started filling up. Man. You know, I'm crowding as close to my brothers as I can. We're back to back. All of a sudden, we look out in the crowd, and there's a there's a damn uh, void uh, starting, like a tidal wave starting towards the ring. We look, and it's Killer Carl Cox, and he's got that eight foot chain, and he's swinging and swinging and swinging. He gets right up to the ringside. He said, "Get under me, guys!" So <laughs> Jack and I are both under <laughs> the killer. He swung out, man. That changed I like a, I like one of those tow truck chains, man. Yeah. You know, you know, he, he hits you with it. You're going to end up in a damn hospital. And those fans knew not to mess with Kay, Carl, you know, and uh, they oh, did that. Yeah. But what a guy he was, and what what a guy to build heat with. I mean, I he was one of those old masters, John, that just you know, giving 10, 15 minutes, he'd tell a story out there, and he wouldn't do nothing. Yeah. Except he he would he would stay on your ass and you knew he was on him, but he didn't do nothing and he'd have the most hit anybody on the card. That's right. Yeah, I mean his psychology was unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, people don't realize how much heat you had back in those territory days, which I was at the end of. I wasn't there at the you know the late seventies and early eighties when right before national television, and how over guys were. 
you know, we had yeah. Rich on here. We had uh, Kevin Von Eric. I mean, you had some guys that were just rock stars in these territories. One of the guys that was a rock star that people don't realize unless you looked at the history or know the history was JYD. And I didn't realize until I saw one of your interviews that uh, he was one of your best friends. He was the best man in your wedding. Yes. Yeah. And, and, a, and a great guy. Now, JYD was not, you know, he was not a, you know, like a, your classic wrestler. JYD's gift was charisma. I mean, he had charisma coming out, you know, come out his rear. Uh, and he was great on the microphone and he just, he looked great, you know, and I remember when I, uh, you know, I had been a baby face, you know, and everybody knew about the relationship, you know, territories are like that, uh, word travels and, you know, the fans always uh, saw us traveling together and what have you. And when I first turned heel, I turned on him. And so I remember, uh, I remember I told, I told Grizzly Smith, I said, Grizz and Grizzly Smith is Jake Roberts dad. Uh, he was one of the, you know, was he Kentucky. one of the Kentuckians or hey, something? Kentucky, Kentucky, and yeah. And so, you know, he, but he was like the, he was the guy that took care of the, the, the front office and got the money and all that, gave all the boys their finishes. And, and so I told Grizz, I said, listen, I said, the first time I wrestled JYD in New Orleans, I am not driving my car down there. And he said, why? I said, why? I said, cause it'll be on, <clears throat> it'll be on, on bricks when I come out. And uh, he said, well, okay, ride with me. I'm neutral. I said, okay, I will. <clears throat> so we go down there and I told, I told JYD, I said, listen, buddy, I said, you hit that, you hit that door on a dead run. When you slide in, I'm going to run. You chase me around the ring, roll in and I'll, uh, you know, I'll, you duck, you duck my clothesline and come off and start pounding me. And I tell, I still say stop. And I said, then we'll, I'll, I'll load the glove, knock you out again. And we'll, 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 we'll see him again next week. So anyway, we have this match. I get back in the dressing room. I'm showered and everything. Oh, Grizz comes walking in. He's got his hands on his hip, just shaking his head. And I said, Grizz, what's wrong? He's just shaking his head. I said, something wrong with the match? He said, no, the match was great. I said, what's wrong? He said, they slit my tires, all four of them. <laughs> I said, you see? I said, they only slit your tires. I wouldn't have had tires on my car. <laughs> but yeah, the heat, man, I tell you what. Uh, and and watch it tell you. I mean, it wasn't just Watts. I, I don't care what territory you win. If you were a heel, uh, you damn sure better not get beat up in a bar fight or you're fired. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. No. That that was the rule everywhere. You know, you get any fight you want to get get in, but if you get if you get in a fight and you get your butt kicked, you better not show up for work the next day. You better be be gone. That's Ted, it. Teddy, uh, Teddy, I read where, where you were in a lot of loser-leave town matches. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so amazing you were, how many of us heels lost loser-leave town matches all over the world. You were, yeah, so you kept U-Haul. Did, was you one of those guys that drove up to the arena with the U-Haul trailer behind me? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I've heard that story. <laughs> uh, you know, and, you know, the first time I went to Georgia, you know, there was, uh, I remember Terry, you know, it was Terry. I think they called me Terry Funk called me and he said, Hey, Teddy, he says, you know, he says, he said, I want you to, you know, we want you to get, get to Georgia, get on that TV because at the time that was the only like national, right. you know, was, you know, national network wrestling, uh, where, where you could see wrestling from anywhere anywhere in the country, the, the super station. And he said, because, you know, there's a possibility he says your name's in the hat. 
you know, you and a guy named Ric Flair and a guy named Dusty Rhodes, you know, for possibly being the NWA world champion at somewhere down the line. And he said, so go to Georgia and, and get over. So, okay. I, so I moved to Georgia and, uh, you know, Georgia was the easiest territory I ever worked. I, I went back to my apartment every night. That was unheard of. You know, and there was a couple of guys named Briscoe that came along while I was in Georgia. <laughs> and I can't remember exactly how this all went down, but I know that I, I had, I had, I had the beginning of a cauliflower ear. <laughs> and Those and, and I'll be honest, you're going to have tough. to fill me in here. Cause I don't, I don't know what you guys talked to me into or told me was going to make it better, but all it did was make it worse. <laughs> you did it all wrong. John, here, here's a story. <laughs> now we're, we're, we're traveling around and Teddy comes over from Texas to Georgia where there's some Mokies there. And, you know, we're a little tight, we're a little stiff. And so Teddy starts developing a cauliflower ear which, you know, we grew up with them because we wrestled those Oklahoma guys all the time. We were tough, so our ears were tough. But Teddy's uh, tender Texas ears started getting cauliflower. So, you know, we're, we're out one night having a few adult beverages, you know, and it's getting a little late, and, and, and it's cold as hell in Georgia. And so we walk out, and if you, you've never had one, Layfield, but if you ever had a cauliflower ear in that cold weather, that, that stuff in there gets cold, and it starts, it starts solidifying. So we, hey, hey, Teddy, right up here at a damn all-night drugstore, we can go in there and we can get a number three syringe, and some peroxide. And That's some what it was. And so and somehow, you know, we had all those adult beverages that DiBiase agrees. We're going to drain Ted DiBiase. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it was. And, you know, here's the thing, John. What they neglected to tell me was that when they drained my ear, it was going to fill up bigger. It was going to get bigger. <laughs> so so that night I, your, your, your wife had gone to visit her relatives and she had accidentally locked you I think accidentally but locked you out of the damn house so we had to break in his apartment here we have syringes you know we might look like drug dealers or something we're breaking in Ted DiBiase's apartment through the rear window back there we get in Finally, I get an ice cube out and I said, okay, set it up, freeze your ear. You know, freeze my ear down, it'll hurt. Freeze your So he froze the ear. Jack got the syringe all clean and ready. We suck that syringe and man, we drained out. We must have drained out 20 cc's of that old <laughs> stuff. There. And we even did it the right way. We put a compression on it so it wouldn't get big. But, you know, during that, during the night's sleep, he pulled the damn compression off, and the next day, a damn beer was three times the size. Hey, Teddy, I know how to drain the air. To hell, you're not draining my air anymore. <laughs> and you still got the air to show for, right? Yes, I do. There it is, right there. <laughs> Jerry, do you not feel bad about impersonating a doctor? <laughs> you know what? I, I don't feel bad about that. I felt great about giving Ted DiBiase a wrestler here that he can go around and brag about. You know, because <laughs> you guys in Texas, you know, you know that that hand to hand combat, you kind of turn the other, turn the other cheek there, so to say. Oh gosh, <laughs> man. So Ted, during that time that you were mid south, was that when you tagged with Doc? You tagged with Doc, right? 
Yes. Yeah. That's, that's when I thought, you know, and, and doc came, I mean, he came right out of the University of Oklahoma, you know, in, into, into wrestling. And Doc was one of the nicest guys. I mean, he and I got really close. And we traveled. And actually, you know, you know, Bill kind of put him with me at the time, you know, to kind of, you know, help help him along and groom him. But, you know, this guy was, he was just, he was one of those guys that he, he didn't realize how, how, how tough and how strong he was. He was just natural. And, and, uh, what, what a great guy, man. It was like, I remember one night, uh, oh, the, the, uh, the, the, we were on the road. We, I can't remember where we were going, but we pulled out of town and, and these guys were horsing around the road. We'd go to pass them and they'd speed up, we'd go to pass them and they'd speed up. And so he said, are you buckled in? <laughs> and I said, I'm buckled in now. And he says, okay, watch this. So we start to go like you normally do. And, you know, and they kind of pulled out. And so he went around them on the other side. And he went around on the right side and it was just like a four lane road. So he's on the shoulder. And so he gets in front of him and he said, okay, hang on. And he slams on the brakes and, and, the, and you can, I, I'm, I'm waiting for the impact. They got stopped. And so Doc gets out of his car and goes back. He's shaking. So he, you should have seen the look in the faces of these guys. When these two big fucking guys get out of the car. Right. Huh. And so, he goes over there too, and, and he just takes his fist and goes over the top and makes a, a like a like a bird bath out of the hood of that car. And they they, didn't, they never moved. They, I mean, they were rolled up, they were locked in, and they were just praying that that's all he was going to do. And so he said, "He, we get back in the car, we dig off." And he looked at me like a little kid. That, that funny laugh he do. He go. <laughs> that, that was Doc, man. But he was the greatest. And uh, he was a hell of an athlete, man. Wow. Yeah, he, he was one of those guys that Bill Watts didn't want to keep in a training camp too long either. He, I mean, he was in and out before, so Bill could take full advantage of all his all of his college uh, uh, credentials and everything. Right. But yeah. what a what a natural he was. I mean, he had that killer look, that size, and he had that intensity in the ring, and uh, and you believed everything that he did because you had to. <laughs> well, and that's the other the other thing, Gerald is as as you know, this is this is like. Uh, you know, this is the seventies, you know, by that time, if you were a college athlete, you had picked your sport. You, know, you were either going to be a, a football player or a baseball player or a wrestler or whatever. Steve played, he, he, he played football for OU and wrestled too. Right. Right. And, uh, I think I heard, uh, uh I, I can't remember what was his coach's name. Uh, it's Stan, Abel. Stan, Stan, Abel. I, I heard Stanley yeah. Abel. Yeah. Stanley Abel was it there. Hey, yeah. he, hey, hey, Teddy, he caused a riot at OSU when he was still in college. Do you guys hear, ever hear about that? Pull it, you can find it on Twitter or one of those, uh, Google, one of those things out there in the, in the uh -huh. cloud out there. But anyway, <laughs> he was wrestling this big star OSU guy, you know, heavyweight, and his brother just, I think, uh, was in the stands and, uh, so Steve comes out and there, there's some tussling around and Steve was, uh, one of these guys in college wrestling, even that, you know, he didn't always stick to the, to the rules. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> things got a little rough on the, uh, on the edge of the mat there, there in Oklahoma, they call what OU and OSU, uh, uh, do any sports is called bedlam because the place is so crazy. 
And when they had those OU, OSU uh, dual matches, they would draw, you know, 15,000, 20,000 people. And uh, they, the people were literally right up against the damn mat. So they wow. went, 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 jostled out to the side and see, slammed the OSU guy one time unnecessarily. So the next time they're kind of tossing around, they get over this other side. Steve slammed the guy, uh, guy again, and his brother jumped out of the damn stand. And before the brother could get his fist up, Steve had dropped him. <laughs> <laughs> and the shit was on. <laughs> a riot at a college wrestling match called by Steve Williams. <laughs> oh, man. So Steve Williams, dropped, Steve Williams dropped him in the middle of his own match. In the middle of his own arena, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Out of arena. <laughs> what a great guy, though, man. I tell you what, I miss him. I really miss him. Yeah, and he, he became – what a great tag team he became with Gordy. You know, when he got, went to Japan after that and was there with Gordy, that was one of the great tag teams. You know, you had, you had uh, uh, great tag teams, the Steiners to work with him, you had him and, and uh, Gordy. What a great time. And he was such a star over there. I mean, people don't realize how good Steve Williams was. Yeah, that's 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 true. And hey, and 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 Terry Gordy, Gordy yeah. was a hell of a worker. Oh my gosh, yeah. is that that's who you're talking about, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, Bam, yeah, Bam, yeah. Bam Gordy, yeah, yeah, Bam, yeah. Bam. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're uh, talking about you're talking about two guys, three hundred plus, over six foot tall, and that could go like a <laughs> like a damn junior heavyweight and, and fight you like a, like a Stan Hansen until you couldn't stand anymore. Those they, they were just phenomenal athletes, uh, uh, generational type people. Bill, uh, Bill Watts, he, he and when Terry and I were working against each other. We were, uh, I, I you know, th this is after I guess I had turned back babyface. And, uh, um, that's another story about me being a heel there for so long and, and watch turn me baby face overnight. But anyway, uh, me and Gordy were going around the, the territory. And, he, and so he gets this off and he says, he says, look, he says, here's what I want you guys to do this week. And he says, I'm going to tell the, ta the rest of the talent, uh, you know, not, not to leave, but to stay and watch. He said, what Bill was noticing was the increase in high spots, high spots, more and more high spots. He said, I want you guys to tell a story. He says, for here's, here's what I want you to do. He said, I guys, I want you to go 55 minutes each night and then give them the finish. It'll blow everybody's mind. And uh, you never saw two guys volunteer to do a job faster. <laughs> <laughs> no good. Hey, oh, yeah. We did it though. Yeah. Hey, take us to when when you and Stan uh, uh, were teaming up over there. Were the matches a little brutal with 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 Stan and, and that uh, Japanese style wrestling over there? Oh my gosh! I mean, you know, uh, you know, they said, you know, you tell they said, you know, you know, the Japanese are, are pretty snug. No, they're not just snug; they're stiff. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and and their rings aren't as bouncy as ours are. They're not a good. They're they're real okay, but they still, but. Uh, now Stan and Stan and Brody as a team had been so over. And so it, he came to me on, on one, uh, one night and he said, look, he said, uh, uh, bruiser is going to jump ship. He's going to go to work for new Japan, which at that time was pretty much unheard of. And so he says, I need a new partner. He says, do you want the job? I said, are you serious? Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> he said, well, I wouldn't ask you if I wasn't serious. I said, hell yeah, I'll, I'll take that job. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, I went from like, you know, like one trip in J Japan a year to, I don't know how many trips and, you know, now I'm going, uh, you know, this is before the million dollar man, I'm getting first class airfare and paid really well. But Stan was just, you know, he was the machine that's going as, and, and the other things Stan can't, you know, when he takes his glasses off, he can't see shit. Right. He can't see anything. He's, he's, you know, he's looking around like this, you know, where are you? And so, uh, so yeah, being his partner, I was trying to, to not get hurt. In his party, I'd hold somebody up, and he'd come through, and he'd hit him with the lariat, and we'd both go down. <laughs> but uh, but the two of those guys were were a huge uh, commodity, and I just adopted his gimmick. Uh, you know, I uh, I put on the chaps and and uh, an old deal. I went all the way Texas, man, and uh, we had a good time. And, and and that's what I was in the middle of when this opportunity came up. Like I told you the story about, I was, I was talking to Pritchard in the back of the Houston Coliseum and I was about to go to Japan and uh, he said he was going to go uh, see about getting a job. And that's when that whole thing happened. And when so I left there, I hadn't been, you know, I had, we really hadn't been together that long when the opportunity to go WWF came, came along, but uh, Baba, you know, Baba was great. You know, he said, thank you very much. He says, Whenever you want, he says you, you're the door's open to come back. So anyway. So so take us to that story, Brother Love calling you and telling you that uh, you know, Vince wanted to talk to you. Set up that meeting, set up that uh, that first meeting with with this dream type uh character that you were presented. Well, okay, so I, I come back. Well, I had that conversation with Bruce, you know, while I was still in Japan. So I come home and, uh, and I'm just kind of waiting, you know, it's cause, uh, um, I, I didn't even go back to work there because, you know, Crockett was running the show now, you know, and I wasn't going to sacrifice my, myself on the altar for him. And, uh, so the phone rings one day and, and, and it's Vince. And he said, uh, Ted, I got, a, I got an idea. He says, it's uh, something that's never really been done before. And he says, and I think you might be the man for it. He said, I'd like you to come up here and talk to you. Know, so anyway, I flew up there the first time by myself, you know, all of all the pleasantries and everything. <clears throat> and he, and again, he went through the spiel about, you know, it's a fresh idea. You know, so many things in wrestling have been done and redone and rehashed. He said, but this is pretty fresh. And uh, he says, I, I think you're the guy for it. And he says, but here's the deal. He says, I can't tell you what it is unless you agree to come on board because I'm not going to give away a great idea. And so, uh, you know, it's like, uh, Terry told me, he says, he says, don't, don't snap at it. Like, you know, you know, he says, you know, stay a little reserved. <laughs> so I said, well, I, I'm going to go home and talk to my wife about it. And, 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 uh, I'll get back to you. And he says, okay. So, you know, I go home and, 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 uh, talk to Melanie and then I call Terry and he said, Teddy, he says, if the man says he's got something, an idea that's tailor-made, he thinks for you, he says, pack your bag, go and don't look back. He says, that's what you need to do. And so I called Vince and I said, okay, I'm, I'm your guy. 
I'm your guy. I'm on. I'm in. And I said, so tell me, what is it? So he said, I'm not going to tell you on the phone. So he flies me and Melanie, my wife, you know, up the next time. And we get the, we get the red carpet treatment, you know, you know, first class, the limousine picks us up, takes us to the office. And so he kind of laid it out there. He said, you know, he says the one thing everybody hates is someone by virtue of their wealth who, who uh, thinks they're better than everybody, you know, they bully people with their wealth. And I said, you know, and I said, I kind of hate guys like that myself. So, um, and he said, what we're going to do is we're going to try to make the public believe you're really the guy. And I said, how are you going to do that? He said, well, we're going to fly everywhere first class. You're going to have a limousine service every night in every town. And, and, uh, and, and then this guy comes walking in and, 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 and counts out $2,000 brand new $100 bills and says, this is your flash cash. <clears throat> he says, I don't care if you, if you buy a, a, you know, like a, a stick of gum, pay for it with a hundred dollar bill. People just hate, you know, so they'll, and they'll really hate you because you got to make change for that. So, you know, and he says, but now he says, you know, go into a restaurant, get up and announce yourself, tell everybody who you are and that that's their lucky day because you're picking up the tab, you know, and, and uh, we'll have somebody that's always there with you. And because Virgil wasn't on the scene yet and uh, he'll go around and pick up all the checks, you know, you slap down the hundred dollar bills, bring us the receipt and we'll replenish the money. He says, now, if you abuse it, obviously you, you, you lose it. So he says, pick your spots. Uh, but imagine, imagine that. Right. And so I'm like, when I went back and gotten the, and, and then, and then he said, okay, he says, we've got your room at the Helmsley palace in, in Manhattan. <laughs> and, uh, I says, uh, and, uh, the limousine is yours. You know, you can, you're free to go anywhere you want and, and, and wherever you want to have dinner tonight, uh, it's on us. And when I got in the car with my wife, I said, you're not going to believe this. You are not going to believe this. And, uh, it was unreal. And fast forward to, you know, uh, some of those times, uh, when I, would do that. Uh, there were a few times it was in a bar, you know, or, okay, it's around on, you know, you know, buy a round or whatever for the, for the house. It's on the million dollar man. And so, you know, when Rick came along on board, I said, I said, Rick, I said, you know, there's a big difference between you and me. He says, what's that? I said, you're spending all your money. I'm spending <laughs> Vince's. <laughs> it's called marketing. Yeah. <laughs> And, and Pat Patterson had told you that this was basically Vince's idea if he could be the wrestler, right? Yeah, exactly. Pat told me if Vince could be a character in his own show, this is who he'd be. And and, 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 and in so many ways, outside of getting in the ring, of course, he did get in the ring eventually a couple of times. He did become that character, you know, as he as he was on television more. I, I You know, I think anyway. Yeah. John, did you get that same deal when you became uh... – the Texas oil billionaire. How did I miss out on this? I didn't get I, you're, you're allowed to I didn't negotiate get any of that. I was, I, was a working, I was a working millionaire. Ted was like you, the real deal. You <laughs> let me you let me negotiate your contract is what happened. I what? think you let me negotiate your contract. And I got the money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, and, and eventually, you know, over, over time, you know, just until it, it gave it enough time to, uh, 
you know, get, you know, get that word out there. You know, and of course, you know, it, you know, it, I didn't, I didn't continue to, I didn't have limousines every night, everywhere. Then, you know, it, it evolved into, he saved the limousines to, you know, to like, you know, he says, you know, when you go, you know, when you, of course, if you rent, you know, uh, you know, if you're going to rent a car, rent a, rent a big one, you know, you know, rent a Cadillac, you know, that Virgil drive. Uh, and they would save the, uh, the limousine rides for the, for the, uh, you know, the, the four big shows we had back then, you know, SummerSlam and, and, uh, WrestleMania and what have you. But I mean, it's like, you know, it was, it was just, it was surreal. It really was. You just said something that's really interesting. Four big shows. I mean, you know, when you think about it now, and we're monthly big shows, but back in, you worked for four big shows SummerSlam, WrestleMania, King of the Ring, and Survivor Series. Right. And I don't see, I, that, that's what I don't understand about, you know, the way business is today. Is It's like, uh, you know, it's, it's like there's, you know, there's nothing to anticipate. You know, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the world champion, you know, uh, the NWA world champion, you know, you, you know, as a territory, you might see two or three times or maybe four times a year, you know, uh, you didn't, you know, he didn't, you didn't see him defend his title every week on television. Yeah. Anyway, that's another story. Well, WrestleMania four, uh, was the tournament, you know, that was the, the lead into that, you know, it's kind of like back to, back to Andre, you know, uh, you know, we call it giving the guy the rub, you know, you see somebody that's got great talent. And, and so you put him with somebody that's established to help, to help give him more status. And, uh, so that was given to me by, by Andre. I mean, uh, you know, Andre and Hogan wrestled at WrestleMania three. They didn't touch again until market square arena. First time wrestling was on live national network television since the fifties. And the main event was Hogan and Andre. And of course the storyline was, I had said, I can, I can buy everything, including the world world title. Andre is going to beat Hogan and sell me the belt. And so we did the, the screw on Hogan and, I actually wore the belt. I actually, actually, I actually defended it one night against Bam Bam Bigelow somewhere. And, uh, and, and, and I'm still not happy about it because my, 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 my title run has not been, it has not been verified, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, so that's, that, that was the buildup. That's what are we going to do? You know, we can't give it back to Hogan because he technically lost it. I uh, can't give it to Andre because he won't take it. He's been paid off. So, that's how the tournament uh, to declare a new champion came about. And I ended up in the last match with, uh, with, uh, Savage and, uh, made him the, the next champ. But, uh, and then because of the association with Andre, I mean, for a long time, I don't know if it was a, a, a year, you know, it seemed like a year. It was a good long time. Andre and I were together and we were, we, we wrestled, uh, Hogan and any one of a number of guys. So I traveled around a lot with, uh, with Andre for about a year. And I don't remember much of that year. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I bet you don't. Was that when oh, Timmy my. was, was Timmy white driving you guys around also at the time? Or was it still Frank? Timmy was with him, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was with him, but yeah, he was always, he was, there was always somebody and that's who it was. It was Tim white. who was with him all the time. I heard Great this story guy. when you got the 
you ended up after that creating the own million dollar belt, which was a story in and of itself. But uh, you worked your character 24 seven. So when Virgil was at the airports, it was always a work, you know, he would load your bags for you because that was working the character. He left or you left, somebody left the million dollar belt and a gold uh, Halliburton at the Atlanta airport one time, right? Yep. That was bonehead. Yeah. Bonehead. (laughs) Bonehead. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like we went to a baggage claim and, uh, you know, so I said, you know, I said, you know, I sat it down for him because that's what I always did. He would load the bags and he'd put them in the, in the lemon go. And so we get, you know, we get to the hotel and I go, where in the hell is the briefcase? And, uh, we got in that car and I said, get back to the Atlanta airport you know, uh, and I don't care how I said, if you get a ticket, I'll pay for it. Just get there. Yeah. And, uh, thank God it was there. Wow. Thank God it was there. It was like, I, I went to, you know, I went to, of course I went to the carousel and it was it. And then I went to the Delta, you know, guys, you know, I said, you, you know, you guys haven't seen a, a gold Halliburton briefcase, have you? And he, he smiled and then he reached down. And he said, does it look anything like this? And I went, oh, my God. Oh, God. <laughs> True story, though. True and that, story. That, that title was worth apparently around $40,000, right? That's, yeah. They, you know, all the stones in the, in the belt, uh, there's 700 small stones in the face of the belt. And then there's, uh, there's a couple of bigger ones. But all the stones are cubic zirconium. The rib was, though, on the back of the belt, on the top side, uh, there's three real diamonds on the back. And when I saw that, I said, what's that? And they said, oh, those are real diamonds. And I said, and? And he said, well, if anybody ever asks you, are the diamonds real? You could say yes, and you won't be lying. <laughs> Details. <laughs> Details. It was just amazing to me how, you know, I don't know what the, the secret is now. You know, I don't know if it's, you know, but when, when guys were heels, when I was a heel, you were, you were in character 24 seven and it wasn't like you were trying to fool somebody. It was, yeah. just, you know, if I go to see a Broadway, I don't want to know that the Phantom of the Opera is a waiter at Del Frisco's, you know, I yeah. don't care. I want to get into the play. I want to believe that. And that right. was, what, that was what you did by living that character 24 seven, which, you know, I understand things change, but you know, people, the hardcore fans are the ones that show up at the airports are the ones that show yeah, up for baggage. Right. To me, that was where you always needed to stay in character because they're the ones that can see you and say, Oh, Ted DiBiase is really a good guy. We're not going to yeah. boo him tonight. And once you start yeah. those guys, you know, that's why we thought it was important to stay in character, which I know times change, but you, you felt yeah. the same way. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. And I mean, I was raised in, you know, I was raised in, in, in my, in the business in my father's era, you know, uh, you, you just, you know, you don't, you didn't break kayfabe, you know, you were, you were it same thing. Um, you know, and of course it's kind of like a, you know, I think anybody, if you, if you're an athlete of any kind and you watch long enough, you know, might go, oh, yeah, you know, I just don't, I just don't know, but that's just like a magician, you know, uh, you know that he really didn't make a damn elephant disappear, but he did. How the hell do he do it though, right? And and when you walk in a movie, when you walk in a damn movie, you know it's a movie. But if the if the if the actors are are really good at what they do, they draw you into the uh, to the story. And 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 and, and what's and that's the other thing I think 
that's missing today is the talent today. And maybe it's, I mean, it's not their own fault. But, you know, John, the way you and I and, and, and Gerald learned the business is doing it night after night after night. And we were in front of a live crowd every night. And you might do something one night and it worked real good. You do it the next night and go, they didn't, that didn't get over. Well, that's when you realize that not every crowd is the same and that if they don't respond to what you're doing, you better think on your feet and shift gears and do something else that they do buy. And Ted, 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 Ted not, not only was your in-ring uh, character so good, but your out-of-the-ring character, the, the way you, the way you're presented, you know, and the, the work that I believe it was you and Bruce that did a lot of those vignettes, you know, you really, that character really developed the heat as you go along to bash it, a kid with the basketball, you know, the, the other, the other was that you would, you would disappoint, you'd let the kid, uh, hey, I'll give you a hundred dollars, 500 voucher ball up 12 times. And then you kick that ball out. Now, I mean, you, you were doing those live. Do you feel the heat when you were doing that? Because I oh, was yeah, on TV. Watching TV, you were the meanest damn guy in the world. <laughs> well, and you know, and that's uh, that particular one too. The thing with the kid in the basketball, I hear about that more than any of them. And uh, this is this is a true story too. Uh, so let's fast forward. Now, of course, all those people that that participated in those skits we did were paid by the company. Right. Um, and so, fast oh, why forward. Why are turning baby face? Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it's about time, you know, I'm getting so old. I don't know if I can defend myself anymore. <laughs> so, so, uh, um, I, I actually flew to Omaha where, where I was, you know, from sorta. And, uh, I was speaking somewhere anyway, I was renting a car. So this guy comes up and taps me on the shoulder and I turn around, I'm looking at his chest. I mean, I'm I, I'm six, four. And went, Oh my gosh. And he said, uh, Hey, Mr. DB, I see I'm the manager here. He says, uh, can I help you find a car? I said, yeah, sure, man. Find something that would fit both of us. And so he said, I'd be happy to. And then he just looked at me and he, cause she said, uh, do you remember that thing you did with the kid in the basketball? And it was just <laughs> the expression on his face. And I went, no, <laughs> and he said, it's nice to see you again. Oh, wow. I said, are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> he says, is it really you? And he said, yes, sir, it is. And his name was Sean. And so, uh, uh, golly, man. Uh, That's amazing. Wow. I, I, you know, and, he, and then, he, then he said, you're really going to love this. He said, I actually went to college on a basketball scholarship. I said, see what I did for you, kid? <laughs> and I got his, I got his information and, uh, but I lost it. I, you know, if I admit, if they could find that guy, they, they, I know the company do a story on him. I know they would, because of all the skits we did, that's the first one everybody brings up because, you know, uh, it was so, it was so good. And that was actually, that was Monsoon's idea. Was it? Well, yeah, that we were in did. Milwaukee. Go ahead. Yeah, we were in Milwaukee and uh, they said, well, what are we going to do with Ted? You know, what kind of skit can we do? I said, well, what's Milwaukee famous for? Somebody said beer and basketball. <laughs> and I said, well, we can't do anything with beer, but so let's do something with the basketball. And then Monsoon stepped in. And he says, how about if you do this? And there, the rest is history. 
you know, well, hell, I would have volunteered for the beer. I'd drink 13 beers and he could squash <laughs> on last beer. <laughs> and we'd all been happy. Probably would have had to pay me. <laughs> and people would ask me about, uh, you know, me stealing your gimmick, which, which of course I did. Uh, and I would <laughs> tell them the difference is, I said, here's the difference. I said, overall, we're pretty equal. I said, I was not near as good as Ted in the ring. But the Bashams in Orlando were a lot better than Virgil. <laughs> so overall, we're equal. I, I, I cannot complain. I mean, I can't, you know, there's no argument there. <laughs> <laughs> no, Virgil, people give him such a hard time, and I understand why, but uh, yeah. he was a great supporting character for you. Well, yeah, and he did, you know, and he did what he's paid to do. I mean, he stood there most of the time with his arms folded. And, and, and to his credit, I mean, he had a phenomenal body and you don't get that way or stay that way by being uh, stupid, but, uh, yeah, you know, he did a good job. He didn't, ha- you know, he didn't have to do much, but, but <laughs> WrestleMania seven, I think was out in LA and, and I had, I said, you know, like, who, who'd you wrestle at WrestleMania that year? Uh, Virgil. Huh. <laughs> when I, when I, when I came back through the court curtain, one of the boys looked at me and he said, damn, DBS, you can work with a broom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he man. All the things in the ring. Uh, good would probably not be one of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, John, you just touched you just touched on the subject, John. Tell us how you actually stole the uh, Million Dollar Man gimmick and- well, you know, it, it, what's funny about it is I, I didn't hear it from uh, Pat or Bruce, but I heard it from somebody that my character was pretty much like what would Vince would do at that time if he could get in the ring was the JBL character. And it was it was absolutely a, a ripoff of Ted. You know, Ted had such great success as that heel. It was just a, a modern day version of it, which fit me better being the West Texas guy who made money in the stock market and the big, you know, foghorn, leghorn, blowhorn. Yeah. You know, just but everything else, uh, the work wasn't the same, but the 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 chicken shit heel type character was the same. Yes. Yes. And that's, you know, to me, I, you know, that's, that's just it. It's, it's, there's two kinds of heel. There's, there's the hardcore, you know, tough guy heel. And eventually that guy will end up turning baby face because bottom line is people like a tough guy, but that guy that uh, runs his mouth and everything. And then, you know, uh, gets that look on his face when somebody absolutely actually steps up to the plate. You know, like, oh, you know, I didn't really mean it. <laughs> it's like, and you just never get tired of seeing him get his ass kicked. And Correct. that's just it. You're never going to lose your heat. Teddy, did you ever get any feedback on uh, JBL's character when, when he was doing it? I'm sure you did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, people told me about it. Uh, what was your reaction to it? What was your reaction? What was your reaction to it? No, poor about, you know, more power to him. You know? Did you have an analogy? Well, this is the redneck Texan trying to still. Well, out. yeah, I, I basically I said, well, JBL is a uh, redneck cowboy version of the million dollar man. Huh. <laughs> and then after me, Jerry, I got a great picture of uh, Ted, me, and Alberto Del Rio. The three, the three <laughs> yeah, generations. I remember that. The three generations of stolen gimmicks. So it's it's <laughs> <laughs> real at all the exact same gimmick for a while. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. did a great job with it. 
And did a great yeah. job. Yes, yeah. yeah. I did a tremendous job. And I remember sitting there, there was I was sitting there around ringside one day. You know how we always sit around, and there was Ted and Del Rio. And I said, Oh my goodness, this is too good. We got to take a picture of this. Three generations <laughs> of stolen gimmicks with the only OG Ted DiBiase. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But I wow. didn't get the, I didn't get the cash in the limos. I don't know how that didn't translate to 2004. I, I, <laughs> I was in a I don't know, man. I... <laughs> you got the Lear Jets instead. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Ted, did you ever dream? I, I saw an interview you did about how you saw the wave coming. I mean, you were in line. They were talking about you being an NWA champion. You knew that Vince was the guy that was about <laughs> to win the territory wars. Did you ever dream that the character that you were going for would end up being this character that, I guess, what, 30-something years later, people still remember the kid in Milwaukee with the basketball. People still remember Ted DiBiase, the million-dollar man. Did you ever dream that this was going to be a lifelong thing for you? No, brother, I, I, I didn't. I had no idea. And it still, to this day, amazes me. It's kind of like, especially, I, I tell you, when it's, I remember a couple of years ago, uh, you know, I went over to the UK and I did a, I went up to do a, to do a Comic-Con actually two, one was in Sheffield in, in, in the UK and the other, the next, the next weekend it was in, in Glasgow, Scotland. And so I was going to be there for a week. <clears throat> so whoever was driving me around, um, took me to their equivalent of a Walmart. Cause I was going to pick up a few things going to be there a week. So I'm walking in. And this kid walks out with his, I don't know whether it, was, whether it was his mother or his grandmother, and he couldn't have been, you know, 10 years old. And as he walked by me, he went, Grandma, that's the million dollar man. I went, no way. Oh. And I turned around and I looked at him. And of course, you know, back then I had the highlighted blonde hair. You know, I didn't wear glasses. So that was not, not now. I mean, I'm, you know, nobody recognizes me now. <laughs> who, who are you, you old fart? Anyway. Uh, but this kid recognized me and I said, how do you know me? And his first response was video games, video games. And then, you know, the, the, the internet, the, uh, you know, I guess, you know, uh, watching the, watching the old shows. And I was just amazed by that. Of course, I hadn't seen any modern video games and actually until about a year ago, they had like a, what they call a gaming con. And I went to it. And the new, I shot, you know, I'm on a lot of video games, I know, but I don't, I've never played a game or even looked at them. But the, the characters look so lifelike now, it's incredible. But that's what his response was. And I mean, I'm, I'm just, I remember standing there thinking, I mean, this, this kid wasn't even alive when I was doing my thing and he knows who I am. That's just crazy. Yeah, and he forced, you know, he had that iconic laugh, you know, that, yeah, like Ron Simmons has the iconic damn, you know, you've got something that's going to live forever that you always will be able to come on television. And <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I tell everybody that I said, yeah, I said, uh, a 19, almost 20 year active career. I've been to all these different places and all these different things. And what in the hell am I going to be remembered for? <laughs> <laughs> that's it. But, you know, it's the greatest thing ever, Ted. You know, I, I had kind of a, a similar career type thing. You know, wrestled in Japan. You know, it's all blood and guts. You know, wrestled in Europe. And you finally make money doing the old chicken shit heel. You know, when yeah. you start doing that. And it's the greatest thing ever. It people, is. People hate that guy. You know, that's the yeah. greatest heel to play. You're, you're tough when you're on top. And when you're on bottom, you're like, oh, stop, 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 stop. 
you're just a coward. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of like, well, that's what, that's what bullies are, you know? It's like I, I've taught my boys. I said, you know, and, and just the way my dad taught me, he said, uh, he said, I don't want you to ever start any fights. If I find out you're starting fights, I said, then you're going to, then you're going to have a fight here. When you get home, you're going to fight me. He says, by, by the same token, he says, he says, don't let anybody bully you. And he said, and, then, and he said, here's the thing about bullies. Bullies are actually cowards because when, it, when, it, when it, most of the time, when anybody steps up and challenges some, some, some bully, they will back down. And I have found that pretty much to be the truth, but that's, that's why everybody hates a bully. It's kind of like, it's like, you, you know, you know, you're a loud mouth, you know, loud, you know, bragging SOB. And when it comes right down to it, <laughs> don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. <laughs> Ted, Teddy, you just described a hill like a hill should be. And that, that was a thing I think both you and JBL have something in common. Neither one of you guys minded being that hill. I mean, you yeah. know, a lot of guys, well, I, I don't want to be that hill. My family, this, or my, you know, my, my yeah. reputation. But you guys, I mean, you bought into the character. You was a character. You guys didn't mind being the hill. That, that's what separates a real hill from a guy playing a hill, I think, a lot of times. Yeah. And, and, you know, I guess just in the, in the business, you know, uh, that's the way I looked at it. I mean, of course I grew up in that business, you know, but, um, yeah, it's like, I'm in the, well, just like when, uh, Pat came to me, Pat Patterson, you know, cause I, you know, I never had any, any conversation with Vince or anybody about, you know, nobody ever said, you know, we're going to, put the belt on you at WrestleMania four, not nothing like that. I thought it was a possibility, but anyway, when Pat came to me, he says, uh, he says, we got, and I don't know, that might've been his idea. He said, look, he says, you know, here's what we're thinking, or I'm thinking, he said, you know, everybody's expecting that because you're the, you're the, the new hot heel that you're going to come away with this thing. He says, what if that doesn't happen? And in your arrogance, you make your own belt. You, you just declare yourself champion and you make this big view. As soon as he said it, I said, do it. I said, because that's going to put a ton of heat on me. And it's all about the heat. Right. You know, it's, it's all about the heat. It's like, if there's no heat, there's, you know, what, you know, what are you doing? And, and so that was it. It's like, I always looked at it as, uh, you know, like a businessman. You know, and so that's why I didn't care. That's that's what a heel. That's what he does. And the, and the more you hate me, the you know, the more you're going to come. The you're, the more you're going to want. It's kind of like I think I, I always said Muhammad Muhammad Ali took a took a page out of wrestling and made everybody hate him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're right. He yeah, made everybody yeah, yeah. made everybody hate him. You know, yeah. you never had you, you never had a flamboyant boxer like that, and he was so flamboyant. You know, and, and he you know. I just same thing. Yeah. You, you hey, yeah. We were at, we were at SummerSlam. We were at SummerSlam one year, and I was working with Undertaker, and we had we had a program leading up to it. And so I, I see it take sometime before SummerSlam, and he goes, "What do you want to do?" And I said, well, "Up to you." And he goes, "Well, I figure I'm gonna put you over with the clothesline." And I said, "Am, am I gonna retire the next day?" And he said, "Why?" I said, "Because you just killed me." And he goes, "Huh?" <laughs> and I said, "If JBL brags." All the way up to SummerSlam, I'll beat The Undertaker. I said, if I beat The Undertaker, and, and he right away, he got it with us. You know, he was just wanting to do the favor. He was wanting to help out and, you know, build JBL. And he goes, I got you. He goes, what do you want to do? 
And I said, I want you to beat the living hell out of me. I want you to slam <laughs> yeah, the limousine, and I'm going to brag to everybody that I beat the Undertaker for the next six months. <laughs> he goes, really, I love it. I love it. You know, he's trying yeah. to do the favor, but once he realizes, he goes, I'm not used to working with a pure heel. <laughs> <laughs> but that's us. I mean, that's that's, yeah, that, that's what you guys were. Yes. Yeah. Ted, how is, uh, you know, I, I loved uh, your son, Ted. We, we got along great, good-looking guy, with great big traps. Uh, is he happy not being in the business? He's yeah, he's doing good too. You know, he's 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 become. I said, what is, what does he do? I said he's an entrepreneur. He's got a, he's got his hands into a lot of different things, uh, and and yeah, I mean, he basically he he loved the business while he was there, but he saw what I was trying to tell him. I said, you know, um, you know, you're gonna, especially if you're that good. I mean, you know, it's like it's like everybody that's had that spot, you know. Uh, you know, you might only wrestle four days a week, but I guarantee you, if you're the, if you're the guy carrying the banner of the company, then you're going to be doing a lot of appearances and you're going to be gone a whole lot more than you're going to be home. And when he started to see that, he said, I was really, you know, I was shocked at first, but then I was also proud of him. He said, you know, he says, uh, you know, I don't want that. And, uh, plus, you know, he knew me and he knew, you know, and you know, I could, and for, uh, you know, my wife will tell you, I, I've always been a great dad, you know, but because when I was there, I was totally engaged in, in the lives of my boys. And, and uh, you know, it's like, you know, I wasn't uh, out doing something else. I was, if, I, if anything, I was out in the yard with them playing ball or them and their friends or doing something. And uh, just that, you know, that engagement, you know, like, you know, make a get on a red eye flight back home, get into Jackson at nine o'clock in the morning from the West Coast. And the boys got a soccer game. Well, I'm bit dead beat tired, but I'm going to that damn soccer game, you know. And so that was the that was the deal. It was uh, he chose he chose family over fame, you know. And I was proud proud of him. So, yeah, what, what an incredible that's uh, terrific thing for him to do. And 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 he he could have been a star. He had it. He good looking guy. He he could wrestle. He could work. He could have been a star. Well, you know, some I don't know who told me this, but somebody said that. And one of the stockholder meetings or something, Stephanie had made a made a comment. They said, you know, Ted DiBiase Jr. may very well be our next John Cena. You know, that's wow. You know, that's I don't know. Big compliment. Big compliment. Big compliment. So, and then, anyway. now you've dusted off the million dollar man. Has inflation made you a billion dollar man yet? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, I don't and, know. You're back, and you're back now at NXT with the, being the same character that you were from. Oh gosh, yeah, and I'm and I, it, I'm. They called me and said, "You want to do this?" And this kid, you know, the other thing about this kid, Cameron Grimes, uh, you know, the character is is funny, but uh, and I'm about to turn him uh, baby face too, but uh, uh, with what they're doing with it. Uh, but the similarities is that I said, I asked him one day, I said, "How long have you been wrestling?" He said, "Since I was 14." I said, 14. He says, well, that's when I started getting in the ring and, and learning how to do the stuff. And I said, well, how was that possible? He said, well, my dad was a, a wrestler slash, you know, like a small time promoter too. So he also had a dad who had been in the business. So that's, I didn't realize I had that in common with him, but Trevor is his real name. He's a good kid. Yeah. He's, are you, he's are you a, enjoying going down there and working with NXT and being, being oh, a yeah, again? Yeah. 
Yeah, I am. You know, and I'm just, and I, I, I told him, I said, look, I'm available. I said, if anybody, you know, wants my opinion or you got a question, don't hesitate. You know, I'm going to be here. I'm there for the TVs and I'm there all day. And I'm not, you know, usually, you know, my, my part in it's not huge. So I'm available. I'm sorry. That's it. That's, that's gotta be incredible energy. I've visited NXT to help with some of the tryouts and evaluations, the energy that you get from that NXT when you walk in and you can feel the energy of these kids, you know, striving to be the best that they can. And they're all begging for knowledge all the time. And that's what I really respect about these young guys that they want the knowledge of the old timers. And I've seen them come in and respect uh, the guys that, you know, that, that they don't know unless, you know, they've looked up somewhere, but they've taken the time to look, look them up and, and know something about them. But so they're right. teaching the right philosophy down there. They're teaching respect of, of, of guys right. like you and John and myself. And that, yeah. you know, it, it really feels good though to walk in there and feel that, that, that vibe. Yeah, it is. They're, they're, they're doing a good job, you know, and it's, uh, you know, just hopefully that as time goes on, it's, you know, this pandemic stuff will go away and, and they'll get more opportunity to get in front of a crowd and do it. And that that's the, that's the difference. That's the one difference I see between our generation of wrestling and, and all of, all of, all of it now it's like, uh, it's getting in front of that crowd and doing it. It's just hard to explain. I remember having a conversation with Terry Funk and Dick Murdoch, you know, riding back to Amarillo from Lubbock, Texas. And I, you know, this is again, before I was, I was working and I uh, kept asking me questions and Terry finally looked at me and said, Teddy he says, you're not gonna, you're not gonna understand this right now, but one day you will. He says, I can't answer that question. He says, because it's generic. It's, it's, uh, I do what I do on the fly. Uh, it's because I, I, I feel the moment I can feel the crowd, the, every crowd you get from is going to be a little bit different. And, uh, you know, and at the, at the moment I didn't understand it, but once I got into business and had time to acquire that, then, you know, and that's, I think if there's something that these kids aren't getting that, that would, that would be, that would be it. Is there not enough, not enough time in front of the crowd? Yeah. Cause anyway. uh, Steve Kern uh, was on the show with us and, and said it was like movement versus emotion. You know, when yes. you have COVID and you have no crowd, there's there's no emotion. You know, they pipe right. it and they try to, you know, replicate it, but it's just movement. And you don't right. really learn what, what works and what doesn't until you get in front of the crowd. You think right. you do and you think you know, but until you do, it's you, you're I think guys are gonna be surprised what actually works and what actually doesn't, because there's no science to this. You, yeah. know, you think something is is gonna yeah. work, but you don't know until you get out there. That's it. That's it. Well said, well said, John. And I'm just mad that another guy is stealing our gimmick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Ted, thank you so much for coming on the show with us. It's, it is such a treat. I, I just, you've always been so gracious to me, especially from a guy that uh, stole your gimmick. So I want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, hey, and you, and you, and you, hey, John, you did a hell of a job. You, you know, you did a hell of a job. And, uh, and yeah, you're a, to me, I've always, you, I always looked at you as a, a pure heel. And that's just it. It's, it's, and, and Jerry, you said it. You know, we did, we did, he didn't mind and I didn't mind. Yeah. Uh, we lost it. Yeah. There yeah. you are. 
Yeah, well, all she came back to Skinner and said, Teddy, what, what do you got going on now? I mean, I, I know you're down at NXT, but your, your personal life, you, 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 you've been involved with the ministry for a long time. What, what do you got going on? Now? Uh, well, again, um, I'm, I'm speaking, I speak in churches. I get invited to churches and I get invited, uh, I get invited to a lot of, uh, men specific events. I speak into the lives of a lot of men, you know, uh, uh, about my faith and, and, and how I went from wrestling to where I am now. Um, and then, uh, but I'm also still, you know, uh, like tomorrow I'm getting on a plane and going to Raleigh Durham and going to sign autographs there for like a couple of days, you know, and, and make some money, you know, you know, money. It's all oh. about money. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Now. <laughs> there you go. Oh, I right. just love the smell of money. Don't you? <laughs> every day, every day. <laughs> well, we sure appreciate it. Like JBL said, Teddy, it's always a pleasure. You know, we've gone back and forth. It's just about our, our entire career, knowing each other, traveling with each other, and laughing with each other. And I, you got that famous laugh and all. Uh, that, that I'm so happy that, you know, that made you a bundle of money. <laughs> yeah, it did. You know what? And that was Vince. He, uh, he was walking by one day. And I, I just happened to end a promo and I laughed like that. He stuck his head in the door and he goes, that's my million dollar man. And that's what <laughs> I want to hear every time you cut a promo. So wow. good insight on the, on the boss. So got to give him credit. <laughs> we just got a scoop, Don. We did just get a scoop. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you for joining uh, Jerry and I on our show. Okay. Thanks very much.